For the reading of the scripture this morning, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, it's on page 857, if you're using the Pew Bible provided this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with great, greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is God's word. Thank you, Matt. This is the word of God. Amen. We're beginning the book of 1 Peter today. Uh, I've never taught this book nor preached it in my life. And so Matthew and Larry and I are going to try to cover a five-chapter book in the next 12 weeks. Uh, it gets discouraging when you read commentators and they go five pages on one verse. So we may not go as deep as you like. Uh, it's uh, unfathomable. But here's a book written around between 62 to 64 A.D. from the city of Rome. Uh, this is where Peter will be martyred. And uh, at this time that he's writing, the church is uh, beginning to suffer. It's not full-blown. Uh, it may have started in Rome, but they've got a madman on the throne named Nero. And Nero is going to uh, kill the Apostle Paul, and he's going to kill Peter himself. So he writes to the people in the provinces of Rome up in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, 
that maybe the suffering has not reached them full-blown yet, but in this letter, he's going to warn them of hard times to come. Some are in it, some are not, but he makes his warning clear. Uh, the key verse of the book probably is chapter 5. Uh, if you want to memorize some verses, if you picked up verse 10, and it says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Then verse 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So he's writing a book to stand firm in difficult times. So we've entitled the series uh, Triumphing in Troubles or Over Troubles. Triumphing. Uh, we must know that just because we're not going through it, let's say national crises or personal persecution, we have brothers and sisters uh, in Liberia, Nigeria, all parts of the world. The China is coming down hard again on the church. And so we have incarcerated believers. The church in Iran has gone underground totally. Nothing can stay above ground in Iran without exposure to it, martyrdom, killing, persecution. So we may not like the book because you're singing, let the good times roll. Hasn't bothered me. I'm, I'm a Christian. Nobody knows it, but I am, and I'm doing just fine. Uh, but Peter is going to pick up the theme, and three great themes in the book is our salvation in the first two chapters. And then he's going to pick up the idea of submission. And uh, submission is no better than who you have to submit to. You know, uh, a lot of people believe in submission until they're asked to do it. You know, just submission's great for you. It's great for your wife, but don't ask me. Submission is a biblical approach. It's not a gender approach. The believer in Christ is told to submit, but he submits to all kinds of maltreatment, to all kinds of uh, negative things because he's a believer. Uh, they hated Christ. They will hate him. And then he picks up the theme that keeps being woven through the book of suffering. Submission, then suffering. And it just keeps overlapping, overlapping. Uh, most American Christians have a warped, bankrupt theology about suffering. We've been brainwashed by prosperity teachers. And we think that to be right with God, you've got to be prospering economically. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's always been a lie. Amen. God has not promised his church health and wealth. Now, if you have both, I hope you're serving God with it. In Deuteronomy 8 said to Israel, when the times get better, don't forget where I brought you from. Never forget I brought you out of the house of slavery and gave you vineyards you didn't plant, wells you didn't dig, and so don't brag about it and act as though you always had it. It's a gift from God. So serve God with it. Uh, 
We will look at three things uh, in these 12 verses. That's primarily about our salvation. And I think, first of all, who are we as believers in Christ? Who are we? You need to know that when you're being persecuted. You need to know that when you're being uh, estranged, as it were, in this world. Second thing, why are you suffering? Why are you suffering? Why do Christians suffer? Why are these believers suffering? And then uh, third part is how are we responding to this Christ that saved us, that is allowing us to suffer? Uh, can you remember the letter S? I can't hear you. You preach back to me. I'm an antiphonal preacher. You can yell back. You've always wanted to yell at the preacher. You can yell. Just make it an amen. And no eggs. Uh, look what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. I titled this message, Elect Exiles. The word exiles in your NIV is the word uh, strangers. And the word means to be alien, not a native of the country. Uh, transient, we would call them Bedouin, gypsy, uh, uh, homeless almost. They were not necessarily homeless, but there was no place they could call home. They're fleeing. Uh, and the concept in Peter is the believer in this world is never at home. We are foreigners. We are strangers. We are pilgrims. So he says, we're exiles in this world. And the old song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Uh, that is true. He never uses the word, there's a word in the Greek, uh, kata oikos. It means inhabitants of the earth. It never is used of believers. We are never said to be the inhabitants here. We're just said to be passing through. We play out our short role on the stage of life, and we pass off. But our treasures are elsewhere. Our politics are elsewhere. Our citizenship is elsewhere. And the one we really vote for is up there. We're stuck with the ballot box down here. But don't get wrapped up in it or you'll be a fool. Amen. I don't care. He's talking about people suffering under the guy that will kill him. There's no can. Matter of fact, we believe the book was written from Rome, but he calls it Babylon because it was some of the shorthand used in the first century church to hide where they were because they don't want to be killed. They don't want to be killed. They had no rights to vote. They were hoping they could stay alive. Now listen to what he says about them. Let me tell you who you are in Christ. Let, before I say that, it's a big issue in your life, your identity. Everybody wants to know who they are. Anybody on Ancestry? I tried, but they wouldn't take my spit. <laughs> they sent back the things that we need more spit. Carolyn's got it. We just saw a 90-some-odd-year-old family member down in the Fresno area. It is sickening to see how much family history, and you still find out we were all sinners, and we're all mostly broke, few blue bloods, but man, how people want to go. How far back have you gone? This is not a very sophisticated crowd. There's no comment. 
Maybe you think there's a lost inheritance back there. Well, you're not related to the Howards. We don't inherit well. But a lot of you are like what my brother says. You're waiters. You're waiting for someone to die so you can inherit. <laughs> Just say, God, they've served their purpose. Let them croak. And you remember when that little girl asked her grandfather if he knew how to croak like a frog? And he said, I do. Why? He said, Grandma says, when you croak, we're going to Disney World. <laughs> so, you know, we're all into identity. Identity. Uh, we're into self-talk. If you take a motivational seminar, you've got to talk to yourself. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Has anyone taught you that? You know, you've got to get a positive identity. Say, I can. I can. You can't. You know, I've got some of my grandchildren, maybe the NBA, you'll do good to make the high school team. Don't want to discourage you, but just saying, I can't, I can't, won't make you a Steph Curry. But they said I could. And they, they said, you can't even be a water boy for this team. You can't just because you say you can't. You can't make yourself what you want to be just by self-talk. Take all the motivational seminars you want. You can't make yourself, but... Your identity primarily is shaped by the family of your birth. If you were esteemed, if you were valued, uh, if you were treated right, uh, that's usually the self-image we get. But Peter's going to tell them, you've been put into another family. You've got a different father than the one you were born to. You got a different family. You got a different set of brothers and sisters than the family of origin. The born again are in another family. And he's going to tell you about your identity. All right, I'm writing to people who are strangers in this world. They're people that have been scattered throughout the world. And now he's going to say they are elect. And I use the word S. They've been selected by God. Selected by God. God loves these people. They're his people. And he uses this word elect. Exiles. By the word, cherish every time the word says you're elect. I, I'm weary with people trying to figure out if they're a Calvinist, an Arminian, whether they believe sovereignty or free will. He didn't, he didn't bring up Calvin or Jacob Arminius. He just said, you're chosen. He told Israel, out of all the people of the earth, I chose you, Israel. Now, you're going to stay mad at God because he chose Israel. It won't change his choice. He didn't say they were choice people. He said they were chosen. You're chosen, not necessarily choice. Not many wise, not many strong, but he chose the weak things of this world to confound the wise. I may not be the best choice God made, but he chose me anyway. And some of you, they're saying, I, I don't believe it. You don't believe what you're even, you don't even know what you're talking about. God chose. You leave him alone. He chose you. And what is scary, he knew everything about you before he chose you. Because he said, I foreknew you. I, you're not an afterthought. You're a forethought. All the way back to eternity past, I chose 
to you. And this word foreknowledge, some say God foresaw that you would believe, so he chose you. No, 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 no. You see, here's a, it's a unique word. Think of the word he, he foreknew. Does God know everything in the future? Good, good. Uh, did he know it way back in eternity? Did he know you'd be born? Did he know what color you'd be? So he knew everything. Now, here he says, but you're foreknown. Why, you foreknow everybody. No, he knows everything out in the future. But when he says this word, Amos 3, another passage, he said, you alone, Israel, have I foreknown. You alone? You mean you didn't know there was other nations? No, you're the only one I entered into an intimate knowledge and called my own. You remember what Jesus said to the guys that said, we know you. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. You mean you, you didn't have omniscience? You didn't know they were going to be born? You didn't know they were going to say, no, I never entered in. You're claiming to know me intimately, but I've never known you. We are a foreknown all the way back. We've been foreloved by God from eternity past. So much in his love we were chosen. Now, these are being persecuted people. He's wanting them to get their identity. I don't care what Nero thinks of you. This is what God thinks of you. I don't care what your peers say about you. This is what God says about you. Let's keep going. Look at the three things. The Father selected you. The Spirit has set you apart. And the Son has sprinkled you with his blood. You see the Trinity? Father chose Spirit set you aside for salvation, and the Spirit applied the blood of Christ. See, it's not enough that Christ died for you. You have to have it sprinkled on your heart. The blood in the house on Passover night did no good without being applied to the doorpost. So the blood of Christ and what he did has been applied to your heart. He keeps going. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Why have you been born again? God's merciful. And mercy means he will not give us what we deserve. It's pity. The word is moving. To have pity upon those suffering. And here God said, out of my great mercy, I didn't want you to suffer, so I saved you. You've been born again into a new family. Amazing. And this new birth is based upon the living hope we have that Christ Jesus is the object of our hope, and he's already conquered death. He's been raised from the dead. He's a living Savior. It's based on the resurrection. You know, when we say we've got hope, we mean it in two different ways. Let's talk about subjective hope, objective hope. If I said I, I'm hoping in something, in the biblical sense, let's say I'm hoping for Christ's coming, or I'm hoping that Christ can save, that's objective to me. It's, I'm counting on this event. I'm counting on this person. That's objective. But it goes back to a subjective attitude in me. I, I'm full of hope 
because I've got a hope that's for sure. I've got my hope in a resurrected Christ. He is the ultimate object of my hope, right? I'm counting on him to keep his promise. I'm counting on him to come again. I'm counting on his blood to be the basis of my salvation. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you, Lord. But, but that objective hope ought to fill us with hope. We ought to be hopeful people. And it's amazing how we have to fight the pessimism and the melancholy and the negative side of our personalities. Some people can get depressed just being in a room by themselves. And there's no one to be mad at. But just they listen to the self-talk about themselves. and You're not good enough or you're not this, you're not that. Instead of saying, let me read to you, heart, your birth certificate. Uh, I've been selected by the Father. I've been set apart by the Spirit. I've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. I've been given a living hope. I've got a brand new new birth inside of me. This is who I am. On Blue Nut Monday as well as Happy Friday. It didn't matter. Some of you were born with negative personalities, like being born with indigestion. You just got it. It's in your personality. Anybody take Myers-Briggs or take any of these tests? You know, it tells you, whoa, you're melancholic, you're choleric, you're sanguine. I said, man, I thought that was a sweetener. And they said, no, that's a personality type. You can't help it. That's your personality. Rich Rollins used to always tell me, he said, man, you tend to always see the glass half empty. I said, well, it is. <laughs> I call that realism. He said, you dummy, it's half full. <laughs> and Tim Valsham came and corrected. He said, as engineers, we just say the glass is too big. <laughs> so, you know, what? Well, whatever your personality outlook, you know, some of you are going to find fault with anything. Nothing's good enough, especially you perfectionists. You make everybody else miserable. It's never good enough, never good enough, never good enough. I love what Dr. Hannah said. The average people enjoy life twice as much as you perfectionists. They can even love playing guitar like me and be average, but I like it anyway. If I had to be perfect, I'd burn up the instrument. I know what great guitar players sound like. And I'm not even worthy to unbutton the guitar case. But that doesn't keep you. You know, like singing. If some of you ever waited because you could sing good, it's going to take heaven. <laughs> We've been, we can endure it for a little bit longer. I mean, you can't even carry the note. <laughs> I came to the choir practice here the other night. And some sister in front of me, I was singing, doing She turned around, so I noticed you're a little off. I nearly kicked her out of the choir. <laughs> hey, sister, don't you correct my voice. And you won't see her in the choir anymore, but anyway. Uh, born again, giving a living hope. And then he says... Notice, we have been given an inheritance that is imperishable. It will not rot, 
Undefiled means no stain. It was used of staining a garment or mire on your garment. And it's unfading. And this was used of wilted flowers. So you've got a future inheritance in heaven being kept for you that it will not wilt, its glory will not fade, its beauty will always be there. It's not rotting. It won't deteriorate until you get there. How long has it been there, Lord? For at least 2,000 years. But I really think it's been there since eternity. And he said, wait, wait, you, you got this coming? Listen to what he said. You scattered strangers, you guys that Nero is going to find a way to punch you down, kill you, call you filthy names as a Christian. Because you see what happened, history says, that Nero, we often hear the story, he played the violin while Rome burned. It's believed in history that Nero started the fires because Nero wanted to remodel the city of Rome. He wanted vast building programs. He couldn't get the Senate to release the money. So he set out a siege of burning the place down and will be forced to rebuild. Well, uh, during that time, the word got out to the population and great heat and uh, animosity towards Nero was growing. And for years, the heat wasn't on the church. Here the church starts around 33 A.D. And here we're talking about 63, let's say 63 A.D. So we've got the church going for 30 years. We've got Stephen killed. But by who? The Jews in Jerusalem that the persecution primarily saw of Tarsus was going as a member of the Sanhedrin to kill believers, not Rome. And Paul pulls off his Roman citizenship to get, get a fair trial. So Rome has not come down totally on the church, but eventually they found out Christians weren't a part of the Jewish group, and the Jews were smart. They were political they had made alliances. They knew how to survive their captors. They knew how to survive Rome. Working out. But pretty soon, Christianity was moved over here by the Roman authorities. Said, They're not a part of the Jewish faith. They are like a cult, like a sect. And so now we're going after them. We're not pers persecuting the Jewish people anymore. Of course, Titus went crazy in 70 AD. Great devastation to the city. But he's going after these Jews. I said, what did Nero do? He said, the Christians burned the city down. So he had a basis for killing them and pursuing them. But he tells these people, this is who you are. You've got an inheritance coming. And then, I think what's so beautiful, he says, you're the people that God is going to guard by his power until you get to the city. The city's being kept, and God said, I promise to keep you in the meantime. And the word is guarded. I'm going to guard you. That's why this song, He Will Hold Me Fast, means so much to me. If you've never been a Christian and thought you could lose your salvation at the same time, uh, God, God's blessed you. 
I grew up believing I could lose it. I grew up saying, you're not necessarily saved because you got saved. Think of that. So when can I say I'm saved? You're never saved till you get there. Have you ever heard that? You're only saved when you make it. So don't get all whipped up down here thinking you're going to make it. Because there might be a sin out there you're going to do. Has anyone grew up, grown up that way? Did you grow up there? Okay. You're saved the night you're at the altar. And you don't want to just say, kill me. Then I know I got heaven made. No, no, no. No, no, he said. Whom I save, I promise to keep. I promise to guard. They, you may stumble. You may sin like Peter did. You may do a lot of flubbing up before you get in the city. But I promise I can keep what I save. And it's an insult to me to tell a believer, you may not make it even though you put faith in Christ. What kind of gospel is that? <coughs> if I never saved myself, can I lose myself? I was lost to start with. I needed no divine help. The issue is, can I land safe? You can only land safe if your hope is in Jesus. He will guard you. He will get you into the city. You not only have an inheritance, I've got the promise that I'm under a divine escort from earth to glory. You ought to shout if you knew how. That is worth being happy about. God deliver us from being a frozen church, but the only time we shout is when the warriors are playing. You didn't shout loud enough last night, I'll tell you that. Now, what they're going through. He writes to them, even though you are my children, you're going through some rough times. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. Ooh. If ne what, do you, what do you mean? Do any of you think trials are necessary for you? I'll let you pray about it. <laughs> God said, I've determined trials you need. Because you won't, you, you're not going to be what I want until I test you and try you. I hate the subject because I'm a coward. But in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, divine necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Um, you're rejoicing despite the short while trials. Um, did you know that your trials are going to be like a dot on a line? Let's say this line represents eternity past, eternity future, and what your life as well as your problems, just a dot on the line or a grain of sand compared to the Mojave Desert. Someday when it's all over, it's going to be a blip in your mind. 
Have you ever gone through tough times and just give you a year or two of maybe health? Uh, or you've gone through rough economic times and you get over it. All of you say, oh, man, that was so long ago. When you're in it, it's not long. It seems forever. When your body's hurting, when finances are not good, trouble seems to last forever when you're in it. But Peter says, just a little while. Your momentary light afflictions, Paul called them. A moment, a moment that you, in your memory bank, boom, it, you won't even, he said in Isaiah, when you get into the new heavens and the new earth, the remembrance of former things will be blotted out. It won't even come up in eternity. And right now, you think it's the greatest trial that God ever invented just for you. Someday, you'll say, did I go through that? Yeah, you will. In this, you rejoice. But right now, we're grieving. And the word grieving there, a great commentator, Westcott and Hort, he said, this grieving is not just the grieving from pain, because grieving is mental. The pain is one thing. You're going through the mental pain. Whatever goes on in our mind when we're suffering, when we're misunderstood, when we're falsely accused, when we're being persecuted, when we're all these grievous trials, whatever it's doing, you're worried. I can't sleep. I'm troubled. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm fearful. All that composes uh, the mental state of our suffering he said, uh, though you're grieving for a little moment, you'll be like the woman that has the baby. And oh, how women love to talk about the baby being born. You know, that's the, the woman talk. I remember the day. I, it took, I had that baby in six hours. And, and I'm saying, just go in there and have it. <laughs> but I'm not invited to the conversation. Now, with my wife and the girl, oh, tell me all about it. Where were you? The first one, I had to go to another hospital bed because I felt so sick. <laughs> Left her by herself, and the doctor delivered. Where were you? Well, I was feeling sick to my stomach. Oh, you don't know what I was going through. <laughs> See, grievous, it can, boom. But he said it will yield something in you. God uses trials to prove your faith, whether it's genuine or not. Notice what he says. That your trial so that it will be tested the genuineness of your faith. Trials never destroy true faith. In the parables of the four soils, Jesus said some soil, it sprouts up quick. Then the sun comes out, trials, and it wilts because it had no roots it was not authentic faith. I, I have some people say, well, I can't trust God. I, I don't believe in God. Why? Well, uh, I can't believe in a God that allows babies to die. Oh, what if there was no God? Babies would still die. Who would you blame then? Well, I just can't believe in a God that allowed 
uh, my mother to be killed by a drunk driver. Uh, I, people, I, I, I'm angry at God. One of our children died or this happened. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't serve this God. If he doesn't do what I think God ought to do, I can't serve him. And the Jewish problem, if they were the Holocaust survivors, we don't know the depth of agony our Jewish friends have gone through. How and where was God at Auschwitz? Where was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when the ovens are cooking my loved ones? You're telling me that this is the God of Abraham? It's no small thing. But if you're Job and the wife says, curse God and die after they heard the ten children had just died, he said, this seems like a good time to worship. And he gets on his knees and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job worshiped God. Three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. They were in there praising God, and all of a sudden a fourth man showed up in the furnace. Not, I'll be with you once you get out. This one we call Jesus gets in the furnace with his people. Heard a beautiful line this morning when he told Noah to build the ark. All the detail. It's got to be this tall this wide, this, this, this. You know the two things missing on the ark? A rudder and a compass. Can you imagine Noah going on? Hey, how do we steer this thing? I'll get you there. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Don't I steer? No, 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 you get in. I will steer it. I can get you there. In your trials, while the whole antediluvian world is drowning, I will guard you and get you on the other side without a compass, without a rudder. You won't get any credit for where you land. It will be the captain. Well, he tests our faith to see that it will come forth as pure gold. There's three things he said we ought to be doing in the meantime. While we're being tested, while we're reveling in our new status with God, three things he says believers ought to be doing. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And it's a present tense. We ought to be continually loving Christ, continually loving Christ. Some scholars believe that love and trust are interchangeable. Most likely they are. Are you loving Christ? The people that know Christ love him. Even though they fail, as Peter did. Here's the man that he asked, do you love me? Now he's writing an epistle, and he's saying, love him. Love him. And... Uh, he said, that's the characteristic. He said, he gives a crown of life to those who love him. There's a crown of righteousness to those who love his appearing. Over and over, all things work together for those who love him. We are Christ lovers. 
we are Jesus Christ lovers. And that is the thing we want. We fight not to leave our first love and to keep the first love. We fight to keep the boil. We fight to keep the enthusiasm. We fight for it not to be a has-been, just a dead Orthodox church. I, we're dead right in our church. We're both. We're right and we're dead. We're trying our best to have an enthusiastic love for Christ until we see him. But sometimes my love gets cold. But he will hold me fast. Has God ever loved you when your heart was cold toward him? You didn't feel like praying. You didn't feel like devotions. You didn't feel like going to church. Were you still saved? He will hold you fast. second thing he says you ought to be doing is trusting him. Though you haven't seen him, you trust him. You believe him. His promises are true. He will not forsake you. Trust in Christ. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Uh, keep trusting him in these grievous trials. Don't exchange God when you're in the midst of the trial. Don't try to exchange God. It's amazing when you get under pressure, when you get tired, or you're going through it, it's easy to make uh, irrational decisions, decisions of non-trust, decision that's maybe not loving. Just uh, don't do anything radical when you're tired, discouraged, or persecuted. Keep trusting. Amen. Keep loving. Virginia years ago told me about the missionary couple whose child died on the mission field which many, that was the history of missions, always assume when you left Scotland or England in the 1700s up when you went you always assume I'll bury at least one child and most likely a wife. It's why so many parents fought to give up their daughters to missions. They died, they died, they died. Adoniram Judson, J. Hudson Taylor, on and on and on. You bury a wife and you bury a few children. And this couple on the mission field, the child died. And when they wrote back to missions headquarters, they said, God has trusted us with a great trial. How much can God put on us? Someone said he controls the thermostat of the heat in the furnace, and he has the watch that times how long it takes to purify your faith. How much do you need to yield to him? And they say the old ancient goldsmiths used to boil that uh, and heat the gold, and since they didn't have many mirrors, their test was the dross has been consumed when I could see my face in the heated gold. And when God can see the face of Jesus in you, he might get you out of the trial. He wants to prove your faith is genuine. And in the meantime, he wants you to love him. He wants you to be trusting him. And then he says something uh, so beautiful. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice 
<clears throat> with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A supernatural joy that is based upon my identity in Christ. I'm going through tough times, perilous times, bad health, bad circumstances, and uh, but I have a joy that is supernatural. There is nothing as refreshing as someone boiling over with joy. I don't know if there's any here today. <laughs> this is about as exciting as the mortuary, <laughs> the way you look. I mean, uh, this crowd has calmed down. And you black folks, it's your fault. You're supposed to add some enthusiasm to our meetings. <laughs> Willie's the only one we get here. We pay him <laughs> to shout out and say, stay on the wall, stay on the wall. <laughs> stay on the wall. Carol and I, uh, one, one thing about living with someone that you grew up being Christians together, you learn a lot of the same songs. So every once in a while, we'll bust out. Uh, we're brushing our teeth. I usually try to quit brushing my teeth when I bust out. But, you know, we're at the mirror and bust out on songs we grew up with as kids. And one I've been singing a lot lately just seemed like, it, you know, one of those songs will come up. And I was just singing to her, Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Oh, say, but I'm glad, I'm glad. Jesus has come and my cup's overrun. Oh, say, but I'm glad. How many of you old enough to know that song? My lands. Why, you're so quiet today, just staring at me. Get over it. Oh, say, but I'm glad. God's promises are true. I've trusted, and I've tested, and I've tried them. God's promise is true. I like to say this. If your identity and your background has degraded you and made you feel worthless, why don't you get into a new family? Why don't you take Christ as your Savior, and your identity is going to immediately change. You're going to find out you've been selected by the Father. You've been set apart by the Spirit. You've been sprinkled by the blood. You've been born again out of God's mercy. You've been uh, given a brand new inheritance. You're not waiting around hoping to get you in the will. I'm in the will. I will get the inheritance. I will get it. And I will arrive at that city. Let me say that's not arrogance. That is a statement based on the saving work of Christ. You will see me there by the grace of the living God, the mercies of God. We ought to be happy about it. We ought to sing about it. On our blackest night, our darkest trial, I will be there anyway. I will be there. And some of you have been saved too long to be this quiet and not get over it. You need to have joy, bells ringing in your heart. I'm going to a city whose builder and maker is the living God. The city Abraham left Ur said, I'm going. I've seen a city, the city that Moses said, keep Egypt, keep your pyramids. I'm going to a city that God has shown me in the heavens. What a great God.
If you want to change your identity, come to Christ. If you want to have joy inexpressible and full of glory, it makes you shout. It makes your eyes run in tears. It makes you act more ways that we won't even want to claim we know you. But that's all right. Hey, you know, it's something that is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And God, deliver us. Deliver us. Yes. Let's stand. She's doing the right thing. She got happy about it. When are you going to get happy? It's worth being happy. We're going to heaven by the grace of God, by the mercies of God. Our Father, I thank you that we've got joy. Joy. No matter what Nero's going to do, no matter where the United States is going to go and what it's going to, our joy is built on King Jesus who said, I'm going to share heaven with you forever. I'm going to keep you till you get there no matter what you're going through. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's broken relations. I don't, matter of fact, Death won't separate you from your inheritance. It's waiting for you, and it has not faded. It has not rotted. It will be there. If there's someone here, Father, that uh, their identity is I'm lost, I'm a sinner, uh, I was never told I had worth, I was never told I was loved, would you bring them to Jesus Christ today where they can find their worth? Some are saying, oh, I... I never succeeded at this, and I never achieved that. Let them come to the cross where you did all the achieving for all of us. You bought us a righteousness we could never purchase. I ask, save. And would you help the saints who have become lukewarm, maybe? Saints who have cooled off. Maybe they're, they're holding a grudge. Maybe uh, some sin. Maybe some relationship. The, oh, the, we have a thousand excuses for why we shouldn't follow you. Let us drop it all and say, restore my joy. I hear David say, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I don't know what they've been doing, but if they've lost their joy, they're in a wrong relationship. I pray save, save, and may we who are saved get happy about it. Uh, I don't need a motivational speaker, Lord, to get me happy. I've got enough to be dancing from now on over what I wish I had a new body. I wish I had new lungs. I wish I could shout louder. I wish someday you're going to give me a body so I can do this for eternity. For eternity, we are going to be praising the Lamb. Praising the Lamb. We are happy because of Jesus. What a Savior. God bless you. Shout right now or run out of the building. God bless you. Amen.